Thank you so much for joining me on Teach Me How to Money. Today we have a fantastic guest. We have two guests. We have John and David. They're bloggers and podcasters from the Debt Free Guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. We're excited. Tell us how you guys became the Debt Free Guys. <laughs> it was a very dramatic event, a cold <laughs> Sunday night, one and a half years after we got together, about 16 years ago. <laughs> well, obviously, we didn't start out debt-free. Uh, our backstory is that John and I paid off $51,000 in credit card debt in about two and a half years. Wow. And that all, as John mentioned, started with an aha moment where we were basically locked in a car together for an hour and a half on a trip home from being up in the mountains visiting some friends with this fantasy idea that we could buy land and build a house up the mountains. And as we drove down the mountains into Denver, we had this funny conversation that basically went from buying land and building a house to buying a condo to maybe we couldn't afford to go on vacations there to <laughs> holy moly, we have $51,000 credit card debt between the two of us and we are financial messes. And the ironic thing is at the time, between the two of us, we had 15 years of financial services experience. Oh, wow. And we were literally living in a hole. We lived in a basement apartment. So here we had these high hopes of living up in the mountains, but we were renting a basement <laughs> apartment. So everything in our lives was kind of out of whack. Sure. And that was the moment we, we kind of realized it and started making changes. So you guys didn't start your journeys until you guys were together. So you guys started on that road as, as a couple. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we were together about a year and a half when this incident happened. So we were still in the young puppy love couple days and money was not a concern to us at that time, which our bank accounts clearly stated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys were young. You guys were in your early 30s, your late 20s. We were in our early 30s. Yeah. So did yeah. you guys have similar money spending issues, similar things that were going on your credit cards? Like what did your spending habits have in common when you came together no. as a couple? We had different spending habits, even though I had my debt for a less period of time than David and my, my balance was much larger. We probably spent about the same in interest payments. He oh, had sure. his debt for about 17 years. I had mine for about seven years. Uh, most of my purchases were big ticket items. Uh, when I moved out to Colorado from Philadelphia right after college, uh, I had $5,000 cash in my account from my grandparents as a graduation gift. And within less than a year, I was in the hole $25,000. <laughs> so I burned through that money pretty quickly. And I decorated my first in wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling pottery barn furniture. And then, <laughs> of course, I was new to Colorado and my old boarding and ski equipment was no longer good enough, so I had to buy all new stuff. Got it, got um, it. it. Just made a lot of dumb, big decisions. And David was more than a call and dimer. He would go to Einstein like, every single day and buy himself a coffee or a coffee and a bagel. Sure. So while I got scolded more for my purchases because they were more obvious, and David was definitely not <laughs> the smartest with his money either. <laughs> well, this is a question I have. Is there a difference between queer finance and straight people finance? I know that that is your area of expertise, you know what you talk about, but I was just curious. Sure. I think that when it comes down to it, money is money. It all spends the same. It accumulates negatively and positively the same. So the fundamentals are there, but there's some unique risks and concerns for the LGBT community. Study after study shows that there's a pay gap, a, a gender and a sexual orientation pay gap. When you're a cis white gay man like John and I are, typically you're a higher earner. But then if you go down the spectrum all the way down to, say, for example, trans women of color, 
they make on average $12,000 a year, and many of them are making that money through sex work. Oh, gosh. Um, so there's just this variety, I think, in our community of various pay scales. Traditionally, everyone across our spectrum earns less than our straight peers, especially when compared to straight white men. So that's, I think, one of the big things. But one of the shocking statistics that we share with people that many people don't know is that in 30 states in this country, it is still okay to deny somebody housing, services, or employment based on the fact that they may be LGBTQ. And that means that there are 30 states where people there may live in fear. They may not want to climb this corporate ladder because the more they climb, the more they get exposed, the more they have to share who they are or may have to tell the boss that their partner is of the same sex. Sure. And that freaks them out. So there's a lot of different things that are slightly different. I think one of the other things is that homeless youth, 40% of them are LGBTQ. So there's a lot of people in our community who are entering life at a disadvantage when it comes to homelessness because many of them have been kicked out of their houses. The other thing, you said something so interesting about, you know, you can be denied certain benefits if you can't declare your partner or your spouse as your partner or spouse, if you're concerned at work, that you can't reveal that part of yourself. Right, exactly. So you know, studies show that if you can't be your full, true, honest self at work, you can't give 100%. If you can't give your 100%, then you know, all your peers and colleagues who are passing you by in terms of you know competition are trying to climb up the ladder, even if you're wanting to climb up the ladder. Well, the other thing that got me thinking is that you may have difficulty moving to where the job opportunities are if you have a job opportunity in a state where you feel like you might not be welcome. Yeah, exactly. And then that's why a lot of us gravitate to what we consider the safe cities, San Francisco, LA, New York, Chicago, and they just so happen to be very expensive cities. Right. So we're at a disadvantage there as well. So we're not earning as much. And then typically, if we want to be in an environment where we can feel safe, where we can hold our partner's hand, we got to pay for them. That's interesting that you have to pay extra just for the right to be yourself. Yeah. So as David said, the fundamentals of money are the same, but the risks and concerns are, are unique. And because of the risk of potentially losing your job simply because of who you are at any time, it justifies the need for us to have more emergency savings than maybe what the traditional straight people would need. But of course, we don't earn as much. So that makes it even that more challenging. So one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is life milestones. And why I was excited to talk about this with you guys is that not everyone has the same milestones. Like people think, oh, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby, then comes a house, you know. <laughs> and those aren't everyone's milestones. I mean, they certainly weren't mine. And I just wanted to talk to you guys about the milestones that you began to save for. Yeah. And this is a timely topic, too. More studies are showing that in general, not, not across the board, that straight people really start to get serious with money after they settle down with a spouse partner. Partner, and especially when they have a kid. Um, it's sort of when you have that other person in your life that you stop being a little bit selfish and you start thinking, oh, I've got more important things than me. Um, <laughs> well, only about 20% of LGBTQ couples have a child. So we're not necessarily having the same life milestones. And for that reason, very often we're delaying something that our peers are maybe doing 20, 30, or 40 years even earlier than us. So we need to sort of look for other reasons to sort of get on the same page financially with our partner or even to just start working on our finances as an individual. I was just going to say, I think that also in our community, in the general population, I think this is the case too, but especially in our community because we tend to earn less, there's a lot of shame around 
our finances. And so it's very difficult to have that conversation with your partner about the life milestones. How do you have that conversation when, when you have so much shame? You know, money shame is something I talk about a lot on this podcast is how can we begin to be brave enough to talk about, you know, our debt and to talk about the reasons why we're not making as much as other people um, and how that can hold us back. Yeah. So David and I think that maybe one motivating time in our lives uh, as a population that we can start getting serious about our finances is maybe when we're leading up to or about ready to graduate college, you're going to start entering the workforce, uh, you're hopefully going to be able to become independent and on your own. And maybe that's an optimal time to start getting serious about your money. Another milestone that maybe our community needs to be a little bit more serious about is maybe even we find a partner that we want to have at least as a long-term relationship to get on the same pitch with them about money and use that as a catalyst to focus on our finances, especially since many of us LGBTQ couples don't typically get married as early as our straight peers. So maybe those earlier milestones, uh, maybe that are straight peers aren't using, we need to adopt as our own. Oh, that's interesting. So you guys, your milestone or your goal was that mountain house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Obviously not the best goal. No, it's a great goal. Well, everyone's goals yeah, are we're, different. We're, we often say it's kind of ironic that we were looking to build a vacation home when we didn't really own a home to vacation away from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess a milestone can also just be a dream. You know, there's a reason why you guys want to move there. And there's a reason why you see owning that place as a personal milestone in your relationship and also in your lives. When we first engage with a person or a couple about their finances, that's usually one of the first topics that we bring up with them is don't focus on your current financial situation. Don't focus on the negativity. Focus on what's most important to you. Very often, we don't even know what we really want in life. That's part of the reason why David and I got into the situation that we did. We weren't sure what was most important to us, so we were just spending on anything and everything. And if somebody told us, go out for drinks tonight, of course, we went out for drinks. And it wasn't until after we realized that we had the, that $51,000 in credit card that, that, hey, we're not spending according to our values. What we really want to do is travel much more, but on cash rather than credit cards. We wanted to save for retirement. We wanted to get back to our community. Um, and other than the travel, um, we weren't really doing any of that. And when we've realized what was most important to us, then we had the motivation and the inspiration to not only pay off our credit card debt, but keep the debt paid off and then start to build a surplus so we could achieve those dreams. So when you start talking to people, you know, your friends or people that work with you guys, what are the common mistakes that people are making when they start to save toward their milestones? Well, I, I think that one is similar to what John just mentioned is that they're not prioritizing what is the important things. What are the important things that they want in life? We oftentimes focus on some of the smaller things and that's where all of our money goes to. And then we wonder why we don't have any money for the big things. I think one of the other ones is that we don't actually create a plan to achieve the dream that we have. We oftentimes want to jump right to purchasing that house, going on that vacation. You know, we want to jump to those things rather quickly. And so we don't really have a plan and we kind of rush into it, not knowing exactly how to get there. And then I think one of the other big things is, especially when it comes to large purchases, we oftentimes forget that there are associated costs. So for example, buying a house, many of us think, oh yeah, I can afford that mortgage payment. 
but we, did, right. we forget that we need to saving, setting aside one to two percent of the cost of the house for maintenance, that we have taxes that we'll have to pay on that. You know, there's all these other associated costs. When you first move into a house, oftentimes you want to put new furniture in it, too. So yeah. it, all those kind of big milestones, oftentimes we forget that there's those there's other kind of periphery things to be thinking about, too. So. Travel is really important to you guys, as you were saying. <laughs> yes. That's great. A lot of our listeners are looking forward to taking a wonderful trip as part of like a milestone in their lives. What is a way that you guys suggest to bucket out travel, to bucket out retirements? How do you recommend people save for all their different milestones at once? I would say, first of all, you have to know where your limitations and your priorities are. You know, if you're 50 years old and you want to retire at 55 and you want to have a million dollars in retirement, but you have nothing, you probably can't save for retirement and take that fabulous vacation to Europe. You have to figure out which one of those are your priorities. Now, that being said, it is possible to kind of break things down and to know that, okay, I want to put some money towards retirement. I want to put some money towards this vacation. I want to put some money towards saving for a wedding or a car or something like that. So Make sure that you're assigning every single dollar its job. Every dollar needs a job. And so if you are wanting to put money away, make sure you're putting it away for the things that you want. And don't mix the money. Because it's so easy to see that one big bucket and to sure. forget that, okay, 7% of that is for travel and 60% of that is for retirement or for a home purchase, you know, we kind of forget that. And all of a sudden we get really happy that we have all this money, but we still can't achieve all the goals that we want if we go and blow it all on just one of those dreams. And I add one more piece to that. I think a lot of struggle with this, and that is to know that not every dream can be your dream. Many of us can't have everything. <laughs> there are people in the world that can have right. everything that they want. And most of us aren't those people. So know what is most important to you. And that, like I said, when Dave and I narrowed ours down to just three, everything became simpler. So tell us the three is travel, retirement. And giving and back to our community. I think that's terrific. And it, it takes time to boil those things down. It takes a lot of self-awareness and long conversations. It, it absolutely did. You know, that for us to realize those three probably took three or four months for us to whittle it all down. What was ironic was David did a spending analysis. He, he, he itemized every expense of ours for an entire year. And the disparity oh between how we were spending and how we said we wanted to spend were night and day. And when we could align huh. that, everything got, like I said, simpler. What were some of the things that you found that you were spending money on that weren't aligned with your goals? <laughs> well, the, uh, our biggest expense was grocery shopping and dining out. We were uh, spending sure. about $400 a week dining out. That would include happy hour and, and whatnot too. And then also $400 a week on groceries. So we were spending a ridiculous amount of money on food. Neither of us were overweight. And I don't recall wasting a lot of money, um, <laughs> but we just weren't spending smartly. And both David and I have uh, affinity towards wine <laughs> and we were spending sure. a stupid amount of money on wine and um, we still like our wine, but we just are a little bit more judicious with how we spend it. You know, you sound like you guys like to live a good life. Like how can you cut back on that and still live the life that you want? Well, I, I think it goes back to that idea of priorities. You know, one of the things that we love to travel and we spent uh, 35 days in Europe late last year. Wow. And I think a lot of people, if they saw our Instagram or Facebook feed, would think, oh, my God, you guys are rich because you were on vacation for 35 days. But 
we've driven the same car for the last 12 years. Okay. Um, when we purchased the first home, we bought a, a condo that was one and a half times our combined salary. We knew that there were things that were not as important to us, and we were okay with giving some of those up so that we sure. could achieve the things we really wanted to, the things that truly make us happy. You know, that kind of stuff actually makes us happy inside, not just temporarily, but but long term. Yeah, there's a question that we like to ask ourselves. Do we want to have this margarita here down the street in, for example, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or would we rather have that in Puerto Vallarta? And inevitably, it's Puerto Vallarta. So that <laughs> helps us prioritize how and when we spend our margarita money. I love that. I think that's great. My last question is, what advice would you give people who are looking to save for milestones to become better budgeters, short term and long term, but are also paying off their debt? Yeah, our first recommendation would be to, if you need to, be okay with tackling one goal at a time and then plan the sequence of events or, of how you're going to tackle your goals. Um, you talked about earlier about trying to save up for multiple things at one time. That's great if you could do it, but for lots of people, they don't necessarily have either the constitution to do that or they don't have the income to necessarily do that. So at the very least, tackle one item at a time, prioritizing the most important thing first. As David said, beyond that, don't commingle your funds. We have numerous accounts, each have their own responsibility. And that helps us make sure that not only do we blow money in areas that we want to blow our money in, but we don't get frivolous with how we spend our money. It kind of keeps us in line. And then to make that all a lot easier, you can automate having those accounts and having those accounts funded on a regular basis. Uh, so to the extent that you can do that, ideally with a direct deposit from your employer, that would be our suggestion. Yeah, I would just add, make sure you have this conversation as a couple. Yeah. It's difficult to have it, but have the conversation so that your goals are aligned. You've got to have your goals aligned. You and your partner or spouse don't need to have the exact same goals, but you can't have ones that are opposing each other when it comes to your finances. Sure. So have that to help out with that, we created a, a gift for your audience. If they're inclined, uh, they can go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash stash. And it's getting on the same money page page. as a prescriptive questionnaire to help get your partner on the same money page with you so you can start achieving those goals together. Well, I think that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. How can our listeners uh, learn more about you and hear more from you? Well, we are Debt-free guys everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and obviously we're at debtfreeguys.com. And then we're also hosts of the Queer Money podcast. Uh, so you type in Queer Money on Google and you'll find us everywhere. Well, it's been a real pleasure and I hope we get to talk to you again soon. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't have Stash yet? Just go to stashinvest.com slash podcast, and you can get $5 to get you started on your investment journey. Stash, it's your money, simplified. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of these statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. 
In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.